And it is so fun to kick off a morning where we are celebrating what God is doing in the lives of our children and the way that so many of them experienced God's love this week during Vacation Bible School. I want you to know that their favorite song all week long was He's Alive. And they didn't just sing it, they believe it. So like the children, let's sing like we believe it. And let's expect to hear from Jesus this morning as he speaks into our hearts to encourage you, help you, and refresh your soul. If you are new to First Pres, we're so glad you came. And we want you to know that we're here to serve you in any way that we can. 
at First Pres, we are about building real relationships that will lead to real transformation. We do life together. And when we do that, we believe that the kind of transformation that will happen is life-changing, refreshing, and reinvigorating in every aspect of your life. If you would, please fill out the Connect card. You can access it by scanning this QR code. It will take you directly to the card. There should be some cards in the pews. You can also find it on our website after worship. But this will allow us to respond to your questions, to pray for you, encourage you, help you get connected into the life of the church, and so much more. Please pray with me now. Lord, we can just imagine the response of heaven, hearing the voices of children all week long. Just like that, Lord. Joyful, full, and rich, vibrant. And Lord, that's what we want you to do in us. Help us to remember what it was like to be a child, to just let go and to give ourselves to you. In this next hour, Father, help us to just respond as we hear you speaking to us through the music, through scripture, through the sermon, through encounters with others, Lord. Because what we know is that you have welcomed us into this day. And you are welcoming us into life with you. We want that, Lord. We want more with you. And so I just thank you with all of my heart that you've given us to each other in this hour for a reason to encourage us, to refresh us, to remake us. Lord, there are also people in our life that we care deeply about who are struggling people that are dealing with illness and disappointments and grief and more. And I just ask that in this next moment of silence, you would give us a chance to tell you about that privately. Lord, we also want to lift up and pray for Maria Sanchez, who will be having hernia surgery this week. We pray for Jordan Hacker, who will be undergoing ACL surgery also this week. Mother and son, it's a big week in their house, Lord. Take good care of them. We pray for the Brannon family, Father, in the loss of our dear friend and community treasure, Monk Brannon. Lord, we loved her, and she was a woman that loved you and inspired us with your love. Bless this family with your loving arms and comfort. Lord, we pray for Angie Boyer as she cares for her mom along with hospice care. Lord, we know that her mother is in last days of life, and we pray that those days would be treasured days between mother and daughter. Lord, we continue to pray with fervor for Jackie Faircloth, and we ask that you would awaken her body with healing. And we ask also that you would awaken her soul with your continued presence and gracious love. Remind the Faircloth family that you are in this with them. We pray for our friend Jim Canali. Thankful, Lord, that treatments are behind him, but asking that the next set of tests would bring good news to this family. Lord, we need good news, the kind that only you can give. And you're seeking to give it to us this morning. Help us to open our hearts to fully receive 
every word of it and then believe it because as the children sang, you are alive. Amen. On behalf of Bryce Lynn, our director of student ministry, he is eager for all high schoolers to know that Chicken and Bible takes place every Wednesday night at the PDQ on Southdale Mabry, and you're not going to want to miss that. Chicken might get you in the door, but you're going to get so much more than you thought. I also get to remind us again and again and again that this church move is not just a real estate transaction. It is a spiritual journey that God started. So let's continue to demonstrate our trust and complete dependence on God by praying together every day at 7.07 a.m. and p.m. Now setting your alarm is a great way to remember because the power of all of us praying together has become obvious in this whole process. God just keeps responding in big and amazing ways. It's signs and wonders like you read about in the Bible all the time. Very specifically, we are asking that you would pray over the final phases of our outstanding design process to create a place that would enable us to reach more people with good news. Also, please pray that the Lord will lead us to an interim home and then a permanent home for Matthew 25, our outreach to those who are hungry and homeless. The Lord has a place for us. We just haven't found it yet. And because he started this whole thing, we are confident he will get us there. In fact, this week I had the opportunity to attend a thank you luncheon at Metropolitan Ministries. First Prez, along with other downtown churches, is a founding church that started Metropolitan Ministries. And at this thank you lunch, they asked me to tell you, thank you. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for the way that you continue to care and love on those who are hungry and homeless. When you give back to God, friends, you are giving need a name. So here are five ways that you can continue to give back to God to ensure that Bob and Joe and Mary and every hungry and homeless woman that we serve each week knows that they are treasured and known by God and by you. Thank you.
appearing before you right now should be a picture of my family's family vacation. Take a good look, friends. Some of you may recognize the word Tanzania. This is the top of the peak called Uhuru. You see it there. This is Mount Kilimanjaro. Those folks do meters, we do feet, 19,341 feet. This is a family vacation of our family in the year 2011. Now, you're asking yourself, well, that doesn't look like the whole family. Who you see there is our son, Reed, and our daughter-in-law, Kristen. They are not married to each other. Reed is married to Marlon. Kristen is married to older son, Jamie. The question before you is, where's the rest of the family? Guess what? You got to come back next week to find out. <laughs> but just a few words, just a few words about Mount Kilimanjaro. 19,000. 19, hang on a minute. Oh, somebody needs to go get me some batteries, Miss Dina. Y'all, hey, talk amongst yourselves. I may have them right here. Cooking with gas. Yeah. Of all the Sundays, not to remember to check how much my battery life was. Where was I? On the top of Mount Kilimanjaro, though you have not yet seen my picture up there, have you? Back to Kili. 19,341 feet. It's the tallest freestanding mountain on God's planet. It's just a little bit east of a big city in Tanzania you've never heard of called Arusha. And our family climbed it, as I said, as a family vacation. So I wanted you to see the picture at the top there. I wanted you to see Reed and Kristen, and I want you to be really curious about what happened to the rest of us. And then I want you to come back next week so you can hear about it. It's quite a story. It's about an onward and upward story about a family vacation. And we, we're talking this morning. We're celebrating family. That's what we're doing. And so here we have this picture of vacation. It was very memorable. It most certainly was. And let's just put it this way. You should go to Tanzania as a family and climb Kili. Just do it. Trust me. It'll be a great experience. So the central and defining thing we've been talking about for the last six or seven weeks is we've been following a family. And it's not been a vacation. It's been onward and it's been upward, but sometimes it seemed not onward but backward and sometimes it seemed downward. It's probably a little bit about like the way you feel in your life as a family, as an individual, but also as a family. Sometimes... It's really clear that we're moving forward and we're making progress and things are going well. But there are, other, there are other times and it's a certainty, an absolute certainty that you and I are going to run into difficulty. We're going to run into pain. We're going to run into unmanageable challenge. We're going to run we're gonna unnavigable storms. That is an absolute certainty. But here is what also is even more certain, that there is no storm, no difficulty, no pain, no circumstance over which the almighty God of the universe, whom we know in Jesus Christ, over which he is not sovereign, 
And what we've been doing is figuring out how to hang on and hang in there because God always leads us onward and always leads us upward, even 19,341 feet. And you and I want to make sure that we stay in touch with God's leading because what God does is this. The parts that are tough, God uses to keep moving us forward but sort of shapes our character so we can be more useful as God's servant, as, God, as God's loyal subject. And then the upward part is we begin to start asking the question, what does God want me to do in God's big purpose? What's my part in it? And that's always going to be how God works with us. And we've been watching this person, Joseph. And we've been asking questions about his life. And here's the question we want to ask today. Family. Individual, but part of a family. How big is the story that you and your family find yourself living in? Oh, it's a big question. How big is the story that's the story that you and your family live in? That's the thing that we want to make sure we understand and understand it really well. And so we're going to have a little fun looking at this person, Joseph, and we start with this line. This is from the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, chapter 45, and look what it says to kick it off. Joseph could stand it no longer. And you and I need to ask the question, what does that possibly mean? Joseph could, Joseph could stand it no longer. And it means this. I'm going to remind you of some details. This is about a, a member of a family, Joseph. And we, I'm sorry, my microphone is coming in and out, and I'm not sure why. I know, I have to repeat myself. Sorry. How could Joseph possibly continue to respond onward and upward given what has been the case in his life? And here's what happened to Joseph. His brothers are jealous of him, and a long time ago, five years ago, they sell him off to some random guys. They sell their brother. So Joseph is... He is betrayed by his brothers. He is imprisoned by his brothers. He's sold off by his brothers. The sound, the sound man said we had to switch off. He was sold off to some random dudes, and guess what they did with him? They sold him to the Egyptians. Now, you've got to remember a little bit about your geography. Joseph is from the family of Israel. It's way up on the eastern Mediterranean. Egypt is way down here. So Joseph's brothers betray him. It's treachery. They sell him off, and he ends up in Egypt. But Joseph is so talented that Joseph ends up rising to the second highest office in the land. Joseph becomes second only to the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh. Joseph becomes the prime minister of the most powerful country in the world. He's in a hole sold by his brothers all the way to the very top of the world. 
And that's how Joseph is so talented, maybe one of the most talented people that God had ever made. And remember, Joseph is the grandson of a man named Abraham. Abraham was picked by God to grow a big family. And so that big family, God was going to bless. And then through that big family, God was going to bless every other family on the whole planet. That's the promise. Well, the promise looks like it's falling apart because Joseph's brothers betray him and sell him off. And that whole family looks like they're going to die of starvation because of a huge famine. So Joseph's brothers and his father hear... While Joseph is a prime minister, it's been five years since they've seen him. They hear that the people in Egypt are so smart that they grew a bunch of food, and now it's a famine, but we have food. So Joseph's brothers come to Egypt to buy food. They, have, they think Joseph is dead. They feel guilty. They've betrayed in, with treachery their brother. They think he's dead. Their father doesn't know they sold him off. They told their father he was eaten by an animal. And we have all this intrigue in this story. But remember, God said to this family, I'm going to make you really big, and I'm going to use you to bless the whole earth. And this family looks like it's going to disintegrate. It looks like God is not going to come through on his promise. And again, we're asking the question, what is going on in my family? Is there a story about my family that's really big? And that's what this family is trying to understand. How can our story be big when it looks like we're about to go out of existence? So Joseph's brothers travel all the way to Egypt, and they find themselves in the grand meeting room where the prime minister holds court. They are in front of their brother. He has learned the Egyptian language. He's not speaking in their Hebrew language. They're from a, it's probably a room that's way bigger than this one. And the closest they can get to the prime minister is way back in the back. And they hear this voice and they see a person, but they don't know who he is. And he's speaking in Egyptian and they don't, rec they don't understand that language. There are interpreters to help later. And Joseph can't stand it any longer. Why? Because he stayed committed to his family, he saw something bigger than the conditions and circumstances that his brothers had put him in. And here he is, the prime minister number two. Joe can't stand it anymore that his brothers don't recognize him, that they haven't put this thing back together again. And that's where we pick up. So we're going to read through the rest of the chapter. Here we have all this heightened emotion. And Joseph is wanting so much to reconnect with his brothers. And here they are in the room with him, and they have no idea it's Joseph. It goes like this. I hope there was nothing on there I wanted to say. There were many people in the room, and Joseph said to his attendants, Out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Feel it. Then he broke down and wept. Of course he did. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him. And word of this quickly carried all the way to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they did. And he, and, and he said again, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't 
get upset. Don't be angry with yourself for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph said. God made me master over all the land of Egypt. So come down to me immediately. You can live in the region of Goshen where you can be near me with all your children and grandchildren, your family, your flocks and herds and everything you own. And I will take care of you there for there are still five years of famine ahead of us. Otherwise, your household and all your animals will starve. Then Joseph added, look, you can see for yourselves, and so can my brother Benjamin, that I am Joseph. Go tell my father of my honored position here in Egypt. Describe for him everything you have seen, and then bring my father here quickly. Weeping with joy, Joseph embraced Benjamin, and Benjamin did the same. And then Joseph kissed each of his brothers and wept over them. And after they began talking freely with him, the news soon reached Pharaoh's palace. Joseph's brothers have arrived, and Pharaoh and his officials were delighted to hear this. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, this is what you must do. Load your pack animals and hurry back to the land of Canaan, that is Israel, and get your father and all your families and return here to me, and I will give you the very best land in Egypt, and you will eat from the best that the land produces. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Tell your brothers, take wagons from the land of Egypt to carry your little children and your wives and bring your father here. Don't worry about your personal belongings, for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. So the sons of Jacob did as they were told, and Joseph provided them with wagons as Pharaoh had commanded, and he gave them supplies for the journey. And he gave each of them new clothes, but to Benjamin he gave five changes of clothes and 300 pieces of silver. He also sent his father 10 male donkeys loaded with the finest products of Egypt and 10 females donkey loaded with grain and bread and other supplies that he would need on the journey. So Joseph sent his brothers off, and as they left, he called after them, don't quarrel about all this along the way. And they left Egypt and returned to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. And now the celebration breaks out. Joseph is still alive, they tell Jacob. And he's the governor of all the land of Egypt. Jacob was stunned at the news. He couldn't believe it. When they repeated to Jacob everything Joseph had told them, and when he saw the wagons Joseph had sent to carry them, their father's spirits revived. Then Jacob exclaimed, It must be true. My son Joseph, my son Joseph, is alive. But when they repeated, I'm sorry, I lost my place. When they repeated to Jacob everything Joseph had told him, he saw the wagons Joseph had sent to him and their father's spirits revived. Then Jacob explained, it must be true, my son is alive. I must go and see him before I die. And there's how it ends.
the family is the center of all of this. Joseph, having been betrayed, becomes the king of the second in command of all of Egypt, and the family, family, family gets restored. Why? Joseph was able to see his life not in the circumstances of being betrayed, but in the bigger picture of God's promise. Remember, God said to Joseph's great-grandfather, I'm going to bless every family on the earth through you. And remember, the word bless means this. It means I'm going to be present. When God says I'm going to bless you, he means I'm going to be present. And the second thing it means is I'm going to shape every feature of your life, all your relationships, your family. I'm going to shape everything about who you are. That's what it means to be blessed. And this blessing looks like it's on the edge of not being able to happen. The whole family looks like it's going to die of starvation. And here we have this man, so talented, who sees above it. Notice what Joseph doesn't do. He does not strike back at his brothers with revenge. He forgives them. But he does something even more than forgiving them. This is really important for us. In his family, not only does he forgive them, that means he's let go of the past. Watch what he does. Forgiveness is followed with a second step, reconciliation. Can you see it? Can you see the reconciliation? He invites his family to jump in. Here's, here's about forgiveness. and Forgiveness means you hurt me and I forgive you. It doesn't mean we're friends. It doesn't mean I trust you. You can forgive somebody and never have a good relationship with them again. And you might never trust them and you might wisely never trust them. But Joseph goes past that. He sees the bigger picture of God's work. And Joseph says, not only am I going to forgive you, I'm going to take action. I am going to make sure that we reconcile. And he coaches his brothers, don't feel guilty about this. And in fact, back up at verse 5, here's what Joseph said to them. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. God put me into this circumstance, Joseph says, to his brothers so that I could be a part of preservation of our family. He repeats himself, God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh. Joseph has been able to step out of the circumstances of his life and see this big picture. And he says, I'm going to not think about this being about me. It's not my story. I'm not the star. It's about God fulfilling his promise to bless all the families of the earth. Here's why this is so important to you and to me. We don't remember Joseph because he was the prime minister of Egypt. That's not why we remember him at all. Here's why we remember him. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, dot, 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 King David, dot, 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 Jesus. Friends, you and I are sitting in here today because Joseph kept faithful to the big picture. Joseph began to understand and trust God. He had years to grind and to be revengeful and angry, but that's not what he did. He played his part in a bigger story with no interest whatsoever in self-acclamation, self-crediting. He sees the story as a big story where God is in charge and it, Joseph sees that his family must survive. So I thought, let's talk for a minute about family. And I'm looking around in the room this morning, 
And family really is the central and defining way that God tries to communicate to us what God wants us to be with each other. So here we have this family that's going to be used to bless the whole earth. And then in the, in the since Jesus, we talk about us as the people who are Jesus followers, as the people apprenticed to Jesus. You know what we are? A family. You and I are brothers and sisters. And because we're going to be together for a long time, we're going to be together forever. Think about it. You and I are going to spend a lot of time together and so why is it so important that we treat each other like family where things like forgiveness and gratitude and reconciliation and trust, all those are dynamics. But one particular feature of this family, and there are folks here today maybe for the first time, and I understand that, but yesterday we had a family meeting. And what we did is we gathered in this room yesterday and the family and it was more than just First Presbyterian family members. It was other folks. But we celebrated the life of Susan Smith. Susan died in April of last year. And because of COVID, Baxter and his family weren't able to give, gather to celebrate until just yesterday. But that's what we did. And friends, it was you could cut it with a knife. It was so rich to be in this room. Several of the family are here now. Some have to go back home to California. And Baxter is here now. He does not know that I'm doing what I'm doing. I didn't get his permission. That's okay, Baxter. In a family, in a family like ours, sometimes you can talk about people without their permission ahead of time. I just want you to know how much it means to me and to Kathy to be able to look at these relationships that we have. This is real. Is it not real? It's so real. It matters so much that we really are a family. And we're not focused on ourselves. It was so obvious yesterday that what Susan Smith was about was about loving us. And she was loving us with the love that she had experienced in her authentic, genuine, real relationship with Jesus. She was a very real person, an ordinary person, and yet extraordinary because she really trusted him. And we love each other, not because we're great, but because we've been loved. And this is a real family. And you know what, family? We've blessed each other because of it. It's how I feel. But we don't stop there. We do like Abraham was instructed. You grow a great, big, huge family, and then through your big family, we're going to bless other people. Because, see, there are a lot of people out there that don't know that they're loved. There are a lot of people out there that don't know that God loves them. And you know what we do? We love each other, and then we have something to give. So I wanted to make a comment about yesterday because it's another way of just celebrating Susan's life. But I want folks who were there yesterday, who are here now, to realize this is a very, very dramatically important fundamental thing that we continue to be family together. And we need each other. But I want folks that weren't there, I want you to know that you can be a part of this family. It's wide open. Everybody is invited. This is a family of faith. And there are lots of Christians who are families of faith in our city and the neighborhoods. Be a part of one of them, if not this one, one of them. And then you know what happens? We have something to give. So some, of, some folks are going home to California. You're going to have a little something extra to give when you get there. Back to Joseph. 
how can he possibly respond? It's because, see, this, how can he say, okay, I'm going to forgive him. Okay, I'm going to step out of my own story and see the bigger picture. And here's what happened. God just did a mighty miracle work in Joseph's life. And God turned Joseph into a forward-thinking lover of those who had betrayed him. Because Joseph could see that he was a part of the big promise of God to make a family that was so huge that all the people on the whole planet could be loved and cared for by him. That's what Joseph did. That's why Joseph is so important for us. What do you want your life to be about? That's a really, really good question. What do I want my life to be about? I want to leave behind something that lasts longer than me. I want you to want with me to leave behind something that lasts longer than your life. And to me, we already know what it is. It's a family. When you live a life as a faithful member of a family, loving, caring, forgiving, reconciling, trusting, inviting, when you and I live that way, what happens is it's still there once we're gone. How powerful is Susan's life an example of that? Her love for Jesus continues on in us. And it was an inviting love. It was a welcoming love. It was a love and is a love that reaches out to people that don't know their love. That's what we can leave behind. You know what? You, you, can't, you can leave your stuff behind, but there, this is an old line. There ain't no U-Haul trailers hooked up to hearses. So stuff is important. And God made us to use stuff and enjoy stuff. But man, you know what really matters? is our relationships. And I'm talking about being authentic. I'm talking about being transparent. I'm talking about being vulnerable. I'm talking about being trusting. I'm talking about being loyal. I'm talking about being honest and resolving conflict in a biblical way. We can leave that behind. You and I can do that. And that's what I want you to want. That's what I want to want for me. The family of faith leaves behind the reality of Jesus as we make our way from this life to the next one. And we live forever if we're connected to Jesus. I have some homework for you. This is what I want some of you to do. I want you to think about your family where you live in a different way, meaning you're going to go home. Some of us live alone. This is going to apply to you, but it applies more today to the families that have children. Here's what I want you to do. How can I make my family life bigger? How can I do things on purpose to draw my life as a family into a more obvious relationship with Jesus? And here's how you can do it. It doesn't take a lot of work. Just go home and sing the music with your kids that they learned this week. He is alive. You're going to have all the music. You've been hearing it all week. On purpose, do that. Here's another thing you could do with that music. Talk about the meaning of the lyrics. You could just kick it around. You could just kick around the meaning of the lyrics, and you can make sure that you and your family get a chance to talk about it. Just a piece of homework. 
Let me pray for us now as we think about what it means to live in something that's bigger than who we are. Let me pray. Gracious God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you are building a big, huge family and we can experience right here in our lives. And we have experienced it and will continue to do so. We thank you, gracious God, that we celebrate family today, and particularly families with children. We thank you, gracious God, that there's something really big going on out there. And we can do a little thing in our home that's a part of this bigger thing, which is that you want to love us well so that we can then love others well. And through us, gracious God, you're going to love our neighbors. You're going to love our community. You're going to love our schools. You're going to love our jobs. You're going to love people in our businesses. This is who we want to be, gracious God, the people who love other people really, really well. Thank you that we get, that we get to be a part of this big thing. It's way bigger than our story. It's the thing of you having made the world and then loving it back to yourself. Make us your children, your sons and daughters that love others well. And all this we say in Jesus' name. Amen. Friends who have been with us online, here's what I have to say to you. Have yourself a great week.